Welcome to the second episode of COP28 Insights, Herbert Smith Freehold's podcast series on all things related to COP28. In this series, we are looking to cover some of the key themes in the build-up during and post-COP28 and what it all means for business. I'm Yanis Biller, Senior Associate in our Climate Change and ESG Practices and your host for today. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Lewis McDonald, our Global Head of Energy. Thank you for joining me today, Lewis. Thanks, Yanis. Now, in this episode, we'll touch on COP28 and the energy sector. Now, Luis, we, we are on track already for 2023 being the hottest year ever recorded. It's proving to us that climate change is already present and no longer just a possibility. The anticipation is that there will be a significant focus on the role the energy sector uh, will play at this year's COP. What contribution do you think could the energy sector make to the energy transition? And what do you hear from your clients and your recent discussion at, at Weka about that? Yeah, uh, thanks, Dennis. Well, obviously, the um, major contributor to man-made emissions is the energy sector. Ultimately, all of the emissions are derived from uh, the extraction and the burning of fossil fuels. Fossil fuels uh, are still the major uh, aspect of the energy sector globally. I believe that 84% of all of our final energy needs across transportation, across heating, across uh, energy generation, 84% comes from fossil fuels. And in the UK here, even though it's the fastest decarbonising country in the OECD, it's 78% of the energy needs coming from fossil fuels. So they are a major part of the energy sector. Uh, what we're trying to do with the energy transition is transition away from an energy system that produces so much carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gas emissions to one that is neutral in that regard or otherwise getting to net zero. So the overall push for net zero predominantly comes down to activities in the energy sector, um, whether that's in the generation of power or the production of um, heating or transportation, or also just the, the building blocks that go into industry. And so to get to net zero, um, the, the energy sector has an enormous role to play. You could say it's really all about the energy sector um, so in the, in the sector, there has been a lot of progress in relation to um, renewables, a lot of uptake of you know, photovoltaic solar, onshore wind, offshore wind, but this is still only really a small sector. And unfortunately, the energy demand around the world just continues to increase as a function of population and as a function of prosperity. So we're dealing with a situation where we have to transition our energy sector to a carbon neutral status but at the same time the sector is growing so this is an enormous challenge actually for all of us um, in in industry all of us in professional services and all of us no matter what part of the economy we're we're, we're a part of so it, it sounds like there's a recognition as you said oil and gas is a very big contributor to two emissions um there, there's no uh, the denying of that uh, and we we do know what the solution could look like now, what is stopping us from pedaling faster, from, from doubling down on that transition? Yeah, well, I suppose here's the conundrum of climate change, really, that the cause of it is the fossil fuels, but that's also what provides us with our prosperity. And so we're trying to fix the climate change problem whilst also maintaining or even increasing the overall prosperity of, of people. In a, in a growing world. So this is this makes this very, very difficult. Um, of course, the intention is to move to a neutral 
um, system from an emissions perspective, but to do so in a way that is just, that is fair, and that maintains prosperity. Um, I suppose looking at it from a political context, the, the politicians who want to be elected, they have to stand in front of us and deliver us increasing prosperity. Otherwise, we're, we're not going to vote for them. So there's this um, challenge, if you like, to reconcile this requirement and this vision, if you like, of prosperity with this requirement for an emission-free energy system. Um, and this is where we have to try as best as we can to innovate to actually ensure that the energy system can be delivered to us in a way that is decarbonised on the one hand and actually just not, not producing emissions on the other. So there's sort of these two strands, if you like, to the energy transition. And do you find that industry is able to, to provide that innovation and is there that appetite within industry to go on this journey of decarbonisation? Or are you finding that there's scepticism yeah. with regards to it? Um, I wouldn't say scepticism, um, other than the fact that industry being run by corporate uh, interests ultimately has to make a profit in what it is doing. And so this is where industry works with government um, to ensure that the regulations are in place. On the one hand, to, let's say, uh, deal with the externalities that are present in the, in the economic systems in which we operate. For example, making sure that carbon and the impact of carbon is given a value and is factored into investment decisions. So that's in the form of carbon taxes uh, and emission trading permits, things like that. Uh, and on the other hand, the adequate incentives are provided through the regulations to make sure that these projects, if you like, that are being put forward, have an opportunity to make a profit. Those two things working together, if you like, they drive investment into the new technologies. Um, they're very detailed, they're very complicated, they take a long time to get right. And if you think about it, we've been on this journey, you could say since 1992, with the, um, you know, the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. From that point forth, we're now 31 years on and we're still trying to get it right uh, in relation to the regulation of carbon on the one hand as an externality in our economy and then the promotion of these new technologies on the other. Still trying to get it right, not quite there. Now, talking about get, getting it right, the, the incoming presidency has spoken about fast-tracking the energy transition. Yeah. You've you've already told us what a, a transition could look like and what's necessary. Where does the fast-tracking come in and what would that mean in practice? Yeah. Look, um, ultimately, I, I believe that the way the transition is going to get very, very fast is where clean energy technologies or decarbonised technologies become the natural choice for every economy around the world as it looks to supplement and replace its existing energy system, the natural choice. What I mean by that is it's the most efficient, the cheapest, the quickest solution. Now, regulation can make these technologies, if you like, the right choice, maybe an unnatural choice, if it's designed in the right way. But as I've said, the regulatory instruments, the regulatory technologies, it, they're quite hard to design and get right. And, you know, you, you're an expert in this area. Yanis, um, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but to get these uh, technologies to become a natural choice, um, we need engineering practice. You know, the, things get cheaper over time just by them being rolled out, improvements being made, etc. more and more manufacturing. So, for example, with something like hydrogen or carbon capture, these are technologies that we've been talking about for a very, very long time. And I worked on my first carbon capture project 
uh, when I was seconded to BP back in 2005 in the UK. And yet we still don't have any, um, any significant carbon capture projects in the UK. So for 18 years, we've been trying to work on the solutions. We're onto our third competition for carbon capture in the United Kingdom. And we're still designing the instruments uh, to enable the first one. We have some great um, candidates, if you like, that are being worked on at the moment. We're working on them ourselves in our team, the team that you and I are in, Yanis. But we're not there in terms of this being the natural choice. It's only going to come through engineering practice. So when you when you think about that, stepping back, we all need to be facilitating an economic and regulatory environment where participants in the economy are doing these projects and doing lots and lots and lots of them so that they get faster, better and cheaper and then become the natural choice. Is, is there a possibility for that to, to really happen, considering that there are inconsistencies in the, the policies and investment? Now, we, yeah. we're looking at yeah. re renewable energy have, have gotten record investment uh, over the past year, yeah. but equally last year also saw the highest levels of fossil fuel subsidies ever, yeah. Um, yeah. particularly as, as governments sought to cushion the blow of high energy prices in light of the, the Ukraine-Russian war yeah. and, and what that meant for the energy markets as a whole. Now, is that... Uh, effectively bringing bringing the balance uh, out of canter there yeah. and making it really difficult for renewables to become that natural yeah. choice. Well, I mean, last year, according to uh, the Bloomberg New Energy Outlook, which is a pretty good source for these things, um, they said that 1.3 trillion US dollars was spent on the energy transition. So that's in 2022. This year, I saw the IEA forecast that 1.7 trillion was going to be spent. Now, I, I believe that last year, that was the first year where the amount spent on the energy transition was the same as the amount spent on hydrocarbon investments. And I think this year, the energy transition investments will actually surpass hydrocarbon investments. So we are seeing a shift, but unfortunately, um, within the industry, the truth is that means there's a big underinvestment in conventional uh, resources such that we might have a supply shock. Uh, but if we were supposed there. to, you said we, we should transition. So yes, do we yes. still need to invest in traditional hydrocarbon uh, investments? Yeah, unfortunately, the answer is yes. Um, and the reason is because of the growth in energy demand and the fact that, um, unfortunately, hydrocarbon investments, so oil and gas investments, involve um, uh, declining uh, fields. And so just the way those types of investments work, you have to continually invest just to maintain the production. Um, and so there's a lot of additional resources that have to come online in order to just maintain what we have, let alone grow it. Now, ideally, we wouldn't be doing that. Ideally, we'd be shifting um, to these new energy technologies. But the political reality is that energy demand is going up and needs to be met. And that will have to be met one way or another and that we're not going fast enough with the energy transition in order to make that demand. Um, so now, speak, speaking of that fast enough, you, yeah. you did say 1.3 trillion yes. is being invested. Yeah. Now, the, the IEA has estimated under their 1.5 degree outlook yeah. that you'd need cumulative 150 trillion investment yeah. by 2050. Yeah, um, about that nine, be... seven to nine trillion per year up to 2050, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, a minimum of five. Yeah. which means yeah. with 1.3, we are falling quite noticeably short of that. Yes. Now, how are we going to bridge that gap? Yeah. Because, of course, every year that's not happening, that just increases the amount of right. investment yes. that has to happen and the, the pace at which it has to be deployed. Yeah. We have to speed up. We have to find ways to just make sure that these investments happen. 
Now, um, governments will play their role in providing the bridge between, um, let's say, the total cost to these investments and the return. So there, might, there needs to be a wedge sometimes to make up the difference. Um, but we also need governments to take a direct role um, in facilitating these investments. And maybe there's also a role for philanthropic capital as well here. Um, you know, there's a lot of billionaires out there, Yanis. Um, maybe there's a role for them here. And we're starting to see that a little bit. You know, you're seeing some, for example, in Australia, we've got this um, uh, this an incredible project to to make a, um, a HDVC cable from Australia to Singapore, powered by solar solar um, infrastructure. And there's some very, um, very rich people behind that. Uh, that's also happening in the lithium space. You're starting to see people get into, and maybe some of the bigger companies as well, and just to accept the fact maybe there is a loss to be made, at least in the early stages, to enable these um, projects to happen. I think if everyone is so keen to make money off these projects from the get-go, it's difficult because we've we've seen that. That's what's happened in the past 31 years. The desire to make money coupled with the desire to bring on new technology is incredibly challenging. And I think that as an industry, and as people serving this industry, you know, you and I, we need to get together and try to figure this out because I believe this is the problem. If you if you're trying to um, have a transition of this scale with this level of urgency, and at the same time you're trying to you're trying to make a profit, it's really really hard. Now, looking forward at industry and Dubai, what are you looking forward to discussing with with the people that you're going to yeah. be there? Um, look. As a firm, we've been heavily involved in designing these regulatory instruments, um, working with our clients, working with government, designing these regulatory instruments that enable projects to be done that are otherwise uninvestable. Um, we've been working on this for a long, long time through the nuclear industry, through major infrastructure projects in the UK like Thames Tideway, through the original offshore wind by designing the CFD. And now we, we're actively involved in hydrogen and carbon capture in the UK, and we're involved in designing those instruments I want to talk about those things with with the, the the assembled group, if you like, at the Sustainable Investment Forum, um, and also listen to what is happening elsewhere. Because I think it's through this sharing of information, particularly across disciplines, different people coming together in different areas, sharing the information, collaborating, and together working on solutions that are going to help everybody going forward. Now that ends our time for today and thank you very much for joining and and we'll leave our listeners with just an interesting development um, from from this week which is that the us and, and china have announced an agreement um, just ahead of, of cop 28 now in the lead up um, that they are intending to sharply increase clean energy and displace fossil fuels and reduce greenhouse gas emissions and the reason this is really important is that china and the us together account for 38 percent of the world's greenhouse gases which makes them a critical player in the global effort to decarbonize and what they have um, specifically agreed is that they are going to pursue efforts to triple renewable energy capacity by 2030 and an intention to accelerate the substitution of coal oil and gas generation in addition, and quite noteworthy, is that they agreed that as part of their revision of their national determined contributions or climate pledges, which are due next year, they would also set reduction targets for all greenhouse gas emissions, which would not be limited to carbon dioxide, but also include methane, nitrous oxide and other planet warming gases, which is important because these happen to be much more potent for warming purposes and also very interesting and relevant because china has not previously um, set targets for specifically methane which which is uh, encouraging 
to see that development and uh, ownership. However, of course, um, the agreement doesn't yet outline the specific level of emission cuts that will be targeted there. Um, so there will be much more to be discussed at COP28, including the, the big question that is always tabled at these things. Is there going to be an agreement on the phase out of fossil fuels or are we not there yet politically? That sounds really exciting. Yeah, that's, that's very good news. Um, well, we're looking forward to those discussions at COP28. Obviously, a lot of the world's products are coming from China um, that we all enjoy. And so their emissions are basically our emissions, as I see it. And whatever we can do to um, assist with the reduction in the use of fossil fuels and the production of all those products, we should do, because um, it'll make a huge impact to the overall emission balance in the world. Well, thank you for your time today. And thank you to our listeners for listening in. And we'll see you in our next episode. Thanks, Janice.